Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. the speculation the season is alive and kicking we are two match days in the transfer window has slammed shut with the dreams of many players being locked behind it squads are now settled and it's our first chance to digest how the league looks this season welcome to another great episode of ukraine plus football podcast i'm your host adam and i'm joined as always by andrew and ray andrew we're recording this as the window's closing. What's gone on over the last few hours? Well, as you touched on, uh, I think a lot of hopes and dreams of some of our Ukrainian talent has sadly remained unfulfilled. Uh, the biggest marquee transfer of this past, you could say, month and a half, two months of the window being opened is Yaremchuk going to Club Bruges uh, after his Benfica season didn't go to plan evidently they've got some better stri- signings there and now he's going to go back to Belgium with his Champions League football and hopefully uh, try and make a name for himself all over again one step back to hopefully make two steps forward maybe in a season's time who knows we will see about that Malinovsky is staying at Al- Atalanta and also he's been immediately benched by uh, Gasparini in the first game so that says everything you need to know there. And with regards to the UPL talent, Mudrik's not going anywhere. Zabarni's not going anywhere. Sahankov's not going anywhere. But we'll touch on that later on this episode. Um, <laughs> let's get on with it, I guess. <laughs> Definitely so. You were in Ukraine across those first two match days. How was it from sort of a general organisational point of view? You know, how were the protocols and all of that? Yeah, so I think a lot of the preamble to the season starting was, how is it going to work? And fortunately, uh, I think there's only been one match out of the first two match days. So I think, how many matches is that? Over 14, uh, with two two games that were delayed. They have gone without any hindrance other than one game on Ukraine Independence Day, which I think many people were expecting to be affected anyway. I wasn't actually there, but a good friend of ours, uh, Bakari Banza, who I'm sure everyone knows from Twitter, anyone who's listening, was there. And they had to go down to the uh, bomb shelters at Stadion Ukraina three times during the game and one time just before the match started. And it meant that the match became the longest football match ever in terms of it took four and a half hours to finish. Um, from the games that I went to, I was at the Olympijski uh, for match day one, Shakhtar, uh, Metalist 1925. Nothing actually went on. It was very similar to COVID times. Uh, no fans in the stadium. However, slightly more eerie because Kiev as a city is slightly more quieter. So even on sort of the outside sounds of the stadium, etc., you couldn't really hear much. Uh, then I went down to Kolos uh, for when they played Krivbas. Similar, just, you know, a match in the middle of 
a, a village of 5,000 people. So not, not much difference from, I guess, COVID times UPL from, you know, just from the off. I guess the main difference you might see is that some of the players looked a bit nervous, but I think as they got into it, in with the game and, you know, got on with the flow and the adrenaline, they sort of forgot what was going on, you know, in the in the background and everything went okay. We'll just have to wait and see how the remainder of the season goes or how it continues and how these influences and potential hindrances uh, come in. No idea, obviously, it might it might affect results and all that kind of stuff in the game that was heavily delayed, obviously, with multiple um, problems that could have had a could have had an impact. But, you know, it, 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 time will tell. But so far, so good um, in inverted commas, I could I would say. Been great following your uh, reports over the last few weeks as well in watching the games. Once we knew which channels were actually showing them, of course, Ray, I mean, what was your take on the whole sort of TV debacle and the fight between OnePlus One and Satanta and all the rest of it? Hello, guys. Welcome back to the UPL. Uh, well, it's it's still ongoing. And apparently Circus uh, has uh, recently made it dirty and you know, sleazy because uh, he went to the court, the only, the one and only Petersk court in Kiev Hills to dictate the decision that apparently YouTube or uh, fans or anyone else could not strike the um, broadcasters of UPL, the unofficial broadcast, uh, broadcasters, I might add. And that is still uh, continuing, right? So that's an ongoing thing. Uh, to start with, no one ever watches UPL on TV anymore, Adam. Whatever you heard, I mean, it, this is all wrong. Whatever circus tell you and the guys are like him, like there are five clubs in total. Uh, I would remind you that these are Dynamo Kiev, Dnipro 1, their new farm club metalist, Ruch uh, Lviv and Zoria, which is upsetting in one point of view because um, They've been uh, the only ones who could provide some uh, difference or some uh, simply another point of view on the situation before uh, war, the full-scale war kicked in and footballs were in charge. We got used to it and the uh, 2 plus 2 or football hub guys who used to broadcast the UPL, they provide another angle. But now they are viewed as robs. And that is satisfying. That is something new, which we see in this situation because people actually complaining, people try to put these guys out of business and they succeed. And hence, Circus went to court. So it's only the start of the saga and it's much more satisfying saga than transfer, I would, I would, I have to tell you. Uh, my position in here is that, yes, we need to have the telecall that the official name broadcast rights should belong to the one company, which is Satanta. And so far, they've been providing good service. I mean, one of the only one matches, my only one of the matches so far has been broadcasted by two companies, two plus two and Satanta, which I don't see any conflict in. I mean, you know that people who have internet, who want to, you know, live in a new country and get something by paying for it, they will do it. 
and I mean our defenders on the front lines, which Circus likes, likes to mention so much. They don't used to be that much, right? They use their phones, they use their tablets and everything else. So this is the future and there's no place for old timers. Certainly not. Certainly not. I agree with you completely there. Well, plan tonight, everyone, is we're going to take some time to digest what each of the clubs have got to offer. And we were going to do it before the season. We thought, you know what? We're going to spend a couple of weeks now just having a look at what they can actually do before we have a more educated guess at how their year is going to pan out. Well, I think we should probably kick things off with the team that caused the biggest upset over the last 10 days. I'm going to give them their official UEFA name now, following the UEFA draw, the Nipro minus one, over to Andrew. <clears throat> well, yeah, the shock of both match days so far, you could say. Dnipro won after their relatively, well, very underwhelming display in the playoffs, where we were semi-confident that they'd probably get past AK Larnaca, but somehow something went wrong. Well, that something was their new goalkeeper, uh, Max Wallaf, who in no uncertain terms is might be one of the worst goalkeepers we've ever seen. And, you know, that comes from the fact that they signed him and you look at his stats for a 28 year old goalkeeper. He's had about five professional games in the past. I don't know however many years it's been. Apparently he's got a big background in uh, futsal, but still there are a lot of questions to be heard going into the, Obviously, the first match that they played against Dynamo, Dynamo, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a minute, were very poor going forward. And they didn't really threaten him to the extent that he could make a mistake, but there were a few spillages from shots. So that is someone that definitely needs to be kept an eye on uh, this season because I think he's going to be a big liability. However, the thing about Tnipro 1 that really looks exciting is their new signing... Um, Domingo Blanco, I think is Blanco for sure. He looks like a ray of fresh air. He looks top, top class. He probably won't be at Deep Pro 1 for long. Maybe he might even be sold as quickly as the winter, but he looks brilliant. Like loads of energy, really creative, um, chasing balls down for fun, uh, spraying passes everywhere, starting off moves. So he's going he's gonna to be good for them, that's for sure. And then the forward line, Dolvik, Probably not at his very best at finishing just yet. I think he needs to get back to confidence if he stays, that is. But on the whole, um, they've got a great attacking line. So you've got Hutulak on, on one side. Um, then you've got uh, Busanello who's coming in from uh, left back down, down at the bottom. And also uh, Hromov on the other side. And then Pichalionok in the middle. And it just looked really cohesive going forward they weren't amazing but they looked a threat every time they went ahead and I think that's something that some of the other teams in the UPL especially the ones that'll be challenging for the title are currently lacking so far uh, we've seen it in Shakhtar a bit which we'll obviously get on in a minute and Dinamo absolutely who have looked very stale um, so on the whole I think that the recruitment from uh, Dnipro 1 this summer has been relatively, relatively solid. 
Um, obviously, those players that they brought in, the South Americans, look good by the goalkeeper. On top of that, their core at the back, you know, with Svatok, he looks pretty stable. Sarapi is scoring goals, even though he's uh, even though he's back there. Tanchik, you know, he's he's a bit of a veteran, but he's still he's still keeping going. And in general, I think they're going to be causing problems, and they will be challenging for that top two for those top two spots throughout the season. Um, based on that, I actually thought that they do a lot worse. And obviously, we're only taking this on the first game, which uh, is probably absolutely terrible um, advice or anything like that. But um, I'm expecting them to be playing relatively well. So, and this is all coming from Alexander Kutcher, who. You know, it's even more ironic. He's never really managed a top flight team. He's only been at Metalist for two years. So it could all unravel. But so far, I think everyone's looking forward um, to an exciting maybe third force in the UPL this season. Um, Europa League, Europa Conference League, though, might be another task altogether because I think they still might have some of those similar problems that they faced in the in the Europa playoffs, because um, against sides with better attacks, etc., this team could struggle. And just before we end on this little Dnipro one segment, just as we're recording, there are claims that Trabzonspor are in for Artem Dovbik, but they've only got until the day this podcast is released to sign him and register him for European competition. So it's a very touch and go scenario. Allegedly, according to Ihor Burbas, they say they've put in a 10 million euro bid for him plus 20% sell-on fee for Dnipro 1. That would be a club record fee. Uh, a lot of Trabzon Sport fans are very sceptical that they would spend so much on one particular player, um, knowing their owners. So, taking a hunch, I don't think it'll come off. And we might be seeing a Dovbik here until the winter. And then following that, Maybe uh, the likes of Peixoto will return from his loan in Brazil back to FC Metalist, and then he'll come over to Dipro 1. Um, all up in the air at the moment, but similarly think that Dipro 1 will recover and hold on to their players that they are so keen on having. As Andrew mentioned, uh, Shakhtar, one of those teams that has not started in the same rich vein form. One goal in two games which came from a set piece, uh, really sort of highlights the issue that they're going to face this season. The good news is that Traore has agreed to stay. He didn't walk out like the Brazilians. He's spoken quite passionately about almost a debt he feels to Ukraine this season. So the big question will be how quick he can get back to match fitness And will we see the same powerhouse up front that we saw last autumn? If we do, my personal opinion is they're going to walk walk away with it because that guy is a striker above and beyond anything else in the league. Key things happened today, obviously, with the window slamming on Mudrick's streams of going to the EPL. He's going to be a key player this season for them. They've, they've got a lot of backup there if he doesn't and he needs a break. Uh, Zubkov, Petriak, Shved returning after his meanders across Europe. Gonna, they are going to strengthen the wing play. 
even compared to some of the, the backup resilience that we saw last year. They've strengthened in defence. I really like um, the the old Dnipro guy who's come into play right back, Taylor. Uh, great, great little sign in there. Brings a bit more experience to the back line. I think they're looking good. And having kept the core of the Ukrainian internationals of their squad, for me, yeah, really, really impressed with them and optimistic going forward. Um, how they get off is, as always, I think the league will be decided in those two key matches against Dinamo. Andrew, how are Dinamo looking? <laughs> well, I think... All there is to say, really, is that so far, Dinamo, I've only brought in Vladislav Kabaev this summer. Uh, after, you know, speaking about that transfer for weeks as well, it's finally been confirmed. And based on what we saw in that 3-0 loss to Dnipro 1, is he going to solve all those problems? <laughs> the answer is no. That's categorical. On top of that... Uh, there's problems everywhere, really. Dynamo just looks super stale. They need some injection of pace somewhere, which they're really lacking, some sort of energy, a bit of creativity as well. So Hankov sat out that first match, uh, apparently through injury, but it might just be because he can't be asked anymore. He wants that move away. Apparently Sevilla were in for him. Uh, they had a bid of like five to six million plus some sell-on fee rejected. I heard that earlier in the window they had about 12 million fee or something rejected as well. Um, Villarreal obviously fell through too. PSV apparently were interested. But on the whole, no one's come in for him. And we'll see what happens in the winter because he can leave on a pre-contract agreement. Um, well, he can sign one and then join next summer. Uh, on top of that, Dynamo uh, have been linked with someone called Kahim Paris a Jamaican winger who at first when someone just messaged it on a, on a reply, I thought it was just a piss take out of Kadeem Harris, but um, it actually, he is a real player. He plays in, uh, I think the Slovenian league uh, for Copper. Uh, it's got quite a good goal scoring record, but still compared to the sort of level of players that we've been seeing coming into Shakhtar and Dnipro one, it's, a bit of a low cry that Dinamo are really struggling in this window. It's it's just utterly bizarre. And on top of that, Zabani staying, Dinamo Kiev inside, and some of my own sources as well said that they rejected a bid for him or it was going to be accepted or something like that. It looked good. And then it was just rejected 25 million, according to Dinamo Kiev inside. Uh which, like, how much more does Bloody Sorkis want or for him if they're going to reject that? I asked Luchescu about that in that pre-match, in that post-match press conference, and Luchescu himself said, well, Zabarini might stay, but it might be me that's leading. So we'll see how long Luchescu actually, you know, keeps up with all this. I guess he understands that maybe he might struggle to find another job somewhere else, but to what extent can he stay at this club when it's just completely impossible for him to strengthen his team? Okay, he's brought in Kabayev, who I think he personally has wanted, but he's probably had a few other requests that have not been fulfilled. And 
you know, there's just no urgency. I don't know. I just think the, the this the majority of this team is just like the expiry date has finally come in, and it's like there needs to be a freshening up of some sort. They probably will still beat some of the lower end sides, but this really could be a, a very difficult next three months before the winter break. That is that is for certain. And whether Luchescu survives it all, whether he leaves or is sacked or whatever, is another question. And who would even come in for him? And would they be any better? You know, based on someone like someone with a Dynamo key of heart or something like that, as we all know, I don't see anything positive coming from this for the time being. And especially of all this mess with the telly um, rights, it, it's just all a recipe for mayhem and madness and catastrophe. Well, on that positive note, uh, let's have a look at the rest of the teams. I mean, one of the teams we're excited about um, in the last winter bank was Chornomorex, weren't we, Ray? How, how are they shaping up? I don't have any recollection, Adam, of, what it's, of the excitement we had about Odessa team, but it's, you know, it's Odessa, you got to love it. Um, well, just to start my preview with, I would like to mention that we have a historical season upon us. Uh, the one I would like to call a 1992 season, because it really is the very first UPL season you might ever see or experience in such unique circumstances. And talking about your awards, I would like to touch on uh, the two basic topics, manager and transfers. And among other teams, which we are going to preview today, I'm going to talk about media coverage, um, what team uh, was doing during the six, six month from February to August, and why should we actually support them? With Chernomorets, their media coverage is brilliant. I mean, their transfer stories, when they present player, they use paint skills, they still got it. You know, that's firm um, trademark Odessa humor. Uh, you should check it out, actually. Uh, manager is Roman Hrychorchuk, who brought Chernomorets to its fame in Europa League. They used to beat PSV and Eindhoven, which was mentioned today uh, before. It was 2013, even before uh, Euromaidan, but it was a brilliant team, and now he's back. Uh, the transfers are quite spectacular because apparently Chernomorets got 20 people leaving the club and 22 replacing them. A lot of no-names, a lot of uh, middle-aged players, but we should mention uh, Alexander Vladky. We have to mention Politilo, Serhii Kravchenko, Yevgen Selin, who came back from Europe, and uh, their keeper, Eugene Past, uh, not Post. Uh, so moving on to 24-6, as I called this part of the preview, uh, during the um, uh, period of uh, full-scale invasion and until the start of the UPL, Chernomore, it's been kept busy, as you pr could probably tell uh, from the transfers. But they survived. They have a new owner, as we probably remember. Um, a long-time owner connected with pro-Russian party is now gone. And apparently another owner, which is uh, of not so certain origin, but he is local from Odessa, a businessman. And we will see if they are going to, you know, step on the same trap again in terms of their uh, schemes or any dark side of Odessa business. So far, it's looking good. Uh, and what's the matter of it all? Why should you watch the Chernomorets matches? They don't even play at home. What's the point? 
Well, they they are playing at the small stadium in Kiev, uh, right outside the house of football. And uh, well, I didn't want to bring that up because apparently all the stadiums are uh, kept in secret, but whatever, uh, blame me for that. And um, one more thing is that uh, this team has a great coach and they might be uh, in top eight in the end of the season, which I personally really doubt, but they, but they certainly aren't going to struggle uh, with uh, relegation. So it's a good thing that Odessa is back in UPL. I would like to end with that. Thank you for that. I'm glad to see them in the UPL as well. A team who I think potentially their their financial time in the UPL may be coming to an end is Zoria Lugansk, who uh, particularly in the Europa League this summer disappointed uh, quite notably. It wasn't the Europa League. They, that's why they disappointed so badly. They were in the Conference League. But even since then, I mean, before the season, of course, uh, after those two games, everyone was expecting the worst. Now they've come in and won their first two match days, scoring six goals, and everyone's gone, whoops. Well, now in that time, Bez Sparovko, who'd come in from Desna via a loan spell in Hungary, scored two goals on match day one, and then by match day two, he was playing for Kolos Kovalivka, which kind of upsets them in the forward line. And as Andrew mentioned, Dinamo's only signing is Kabayev that's come up from Zoria. Two players that will really hurt them, I think. Yes, they did win their first two games. Uh, one was 3-2 against FC Lviv, who I will talk about briefly later on tonight. But um, And even with that, it was a last-minute winner as well. I don't think they're going to be as uh, good as in the past, even if they sit on 100% so far. Uh, they've played... I mean, the Volskler game, game was scripting revenge, but uh, FC Lviv are one of the weak teams, and I think when they come up against the stronger teams, they will find their place in mid-table. Probably the best for them as well. Be interesting to see what direction they go this season without group save money, without Scripnik there anymore, without any profitable players to sell. They're really going to be relying on those handouts from the big clubs if they're going to carry on at the same sort of, anywhere near the same sort of level. Dark times for the Legants team. Hopefully they'll stay up, stay with us long enough to play back in a free Lugansk sometime in the near future. Possibly putting my head really on the chopping block here. Ruzin, Nazari Ruzin. Is this going to be his sort of, his comeback from the depths of depression after the, these last two miserable years? Really curious to see how he goes. Was he just the one season wonder or is Zoria the team for him? Only time will tell with Bezborovko going. He's sure going to get some more game time. And yeah, I'm going to wish him good luck. I think he's going to need it, but he deserves it as well. Anyway, moving on, Ingolets. Oh, Ingolets. How are they looking this year, guys? Well, it's a battle of Bowers Nukes, I would say. We have one in Veres and the second one we have in Inholets, also known as Papa. Well, Papa has uh, recently been a media star 
in Ukraine. And I, I'm pretty sure the other side of the world as well, because uh, now, you know, Inhulets, thanks to him, apparently he was commenting the Champions League final, Megogo with Roman Bebek. He is an author of this famous quote, which is everybody's favorite song in Ukraine for at least some time. I don't know about it now, but it definitely blew the charts away at some point. So the media coverage of Inholets is a diamond in the rough. So are their kids. They have the new supplier, which is Macron, and they've turned to striped old school Neva Ternopil 1996 vibe kit yellow and red, which might remind you of the Zirka Kirovograd, right, back in the day. And Lavernenko used to be a coach of that, I might add. Uh, still a really decent kit. Their away kit, the black one with hidden stripes is brilliant as well. And no betting firms on it. That's a huge achievement these days. Talking about what actually happens on the pitch. Uh, the only loss Ivan Opanasenko to Krivbas another promoted team. Uh, they signed uh, Bliznichenko, who used to be a Dnipro up-and-coming star after Konopyanka. He actually played in Turkey, but that's that. He is in Inhalets now, and you can think if that's a promotion or a downfall for him. Nevertheless, they have another Bliznichenko signed from Dynamo U19 team, so make sure you don't actually mess up their lineup if you want to talk about who is better of those two guys. Um, talking about the sixth month of uh, the Russian full-scale invasion in 2022, Inhulets, well, you could tell those guys made the most of it. They're playing home, actually. One of the very few teams which are playing home matches at their home stadium, which uh, apparently is famous uh, for their cage for away visitors, but we don't have any visitors these days, so that's fine. And someday, hopefully, Real Madrid is going to come to see them, right? How are they, how they are doing? That's Povarznuk's dream. Uh, Meta, why them? Well, I think all I've, all I've described before is worth seeing that team at least once in your life. Definitely is, definitely is. And it's a great place to eventually get to once you've gone down all those bumpy roads like uh, Andrew and I did last summer. Uh, Vorskla, we had a lot of hopes for them this season, Andrew. they still there. <laughs> I think they'll come back. I think they, they've had a, a difficult start. They've not played too well. As you mentioned with the Zoria, uh, they got a relatively comfortable victory. Um, against them in the opening match day. And then, uh, you know, Vodska then lost to Veres, who look very organised and uh, I think Veres will be will be playing quite high in the table this season, personally. Um, however, Vodska probably need a bit more cohesion. I think they've not 100% sorted themselves out um, defensively. They looked a bit lackadaisical in the Conference League, like we mentioned. And they're trying to adapt to life with a number of new players in the team. They've got, well, they've got two new Albanians in there, one new uh, North Macedonian, and they've already had a North Macedonian there anyway. So just on the whole, I think they're just trying to work out how exactly this team's going to work. And 
the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Skripnik's not even using his traditional uh, diamond formation, uh, as far as I'm aware. So that could be a recipe for disaster straight from the off if, if he's not going to be using that. But I think they'll probably get there. Uh, they just need to settle in a bit. Uh, a few of their next few fixtures are, I could say, relatively favourable. I think they just need a win to get things going and then they should be relatively stable. We've seen a lot of their good, good talent leave this summer. Olivier Thiel, Vincent Thiel, uh, Amilcar Kadrovi. Um, plenty of the talent that, on the whole, would have supplemented this side not there so the creativity has to come from elsewhere and i think they probably will be challenging for those um european spots eventually but it's it's going to take a bit of a slow burner i didn't realize Emilcar had gone has he has he found a new club now yes he's going to be partying in ionapa in cyprus ionapa oh, fc oh brilliant so happy for him good transition to a warm island <laughs> Uh, uh, you mentioned Veras there, and I'm going to put my hands up and say, yeah, I called that one completely wrong. I was worried, and they put my worries at ease over the last couple of days. Classic Veras of the last few seasons have appeared on match days one and two. Uh, not a lot going on. They do, they are grabbing the goals and conceding very little. If you were part of the Fantasy Football League last year, you always made sure you had one or two various players in your back line to keep the costs down and get yourself that clean sheet week in, week out. Uh, so it's been a, a 1-0 away at away against Chorna Moritz, but as Ray said earlier, it's not really away. And then 1-0 away against Orskler, or 2-1, wasn't it? Yeah, 80-something minute equaliser and the 97th minute winner. Uh which is more down to bad defending by Vorskler, I thought, as well. But, yeah, mid-table for me, definitely comfortable going to be there. They might get whipped occasionally, but uh, there's definitely enough organisation in that team to do well this year. Big thing for me, I know Ray mentioned the other side of the Pavarezhnyuk uh, battle, but... Uh, you know, the more exciting thing with Veres this season will be when they get to play in the stadium. And the stadium is looking, at least the one stand which appears in the photos, that that stand is looking real good. And, yeah, exciting times there. And hopefully they'll get to play in the home stadium very, very soon. Now, moving on. Where are we going now? Let's stay close to Rima. Let's go down to Lviv. Rook. Lviv, possibly the club with the finest academy in Ukraine. But Ray, how are they shaping up? The Spice Boys, the posh, the posh club of uh, the modern era. Ruch Lviv uh, is a shelter for anyone who is struggling with, um, you know, spending a good quality time in Ukraine these days. It's a shelter for anyone, any journalist, any, you know, media um, influencers. I'm talking about the likes of Viktor Vatsko and half of uh, Ukrainian veteran national team. Well, Ruh can be a home for anyone these days. And that's why they, apart from that, they are the main renegades in broadcast rights battle. So their owner, um, 
goes by the name of Kozlovsky. Uh, he is uh, the type of old Ukraine uh, type of uh, own football owners, football club owners. But now he tries to, you know, he, Rook is part of City Group, as we know, right? And uh, he tries to build this new model of uh, the club, which is which has an academy, which is um, a place for people to uh, start and uh, improve their career. But so far, as I mentioned, he's looking at a um, path of an old school Ukrainian football club president. And that's the problem because um, if you if you are in bed with the uh, Dynamo Kiev owners and Dnipro one, well, let me let's say you can last for some time, but it's not forever. Uh, their manager is Belarusian. Um, and same as if Sylvia manager, actually. And that tells us that they are going to be playing uh, from defense. That might help them. They have few veterans in the squad who just who can just see the ball flying on top of them every time and hoping for uh, the, you know, tap in from a header once in a while. Um, their transfers involve the former Dynamo 2 player Oleksiy Dohi, who's been a legend of a lot of clubs, both football and night ones. And their active activity during the six months of full-scale invasion is massive, apparently, as you could probably tell. Uh, they have launched their new kits, which some people consider nice. I don't know, too, much, too many advertisements is for me. And the meta of this club is that are we going to see them ahead of uh, the Ukrainian football system and being the pioneers of both free matches for everyone and a successful business club model? Or are we going to see another candy in a very bright uh, packaging, but with a really rotten flavor inside? Watch this space. One club that could really market that the best way possible is definitely Krivbath. Andrew, I think you'd agree with me. How had they shaken up? Really like the Guardian article. Yeah, they haven't had the best start on the pitch. Uh, lost both their opening matches. Relatively narrowly, though. Uh, 1-0 in both games against Kolos, who started brightly, and against Shakhtar, which you probably would have expected them to lose regardless uh, probably so far we've seen the return of Werner Dub, um in the managerial seat, sort of in true Werner Dub style. Uh, Ray enjoyed this one in particular in the first match day. <laughs> Werner Dub sent off for throwing a fake punch and screaming loads of abuse at the referee. So he's well and truly back. It doesn't matter if he was in the armed forces of Ukraine or not. Um, sometimes character just can't can't be changed uh, when it comes to sitting in the dugout. And overall, I think Kovbash should be okay. They just need to get going. Um, half their squad are newbies. A lot of players, I think, didn't uh, come back from abroad when they were playing abroad there in the winter training camp. So they've got a mix of new players. Uh, obviously, Vitali Vernidub, the son of Yuri, uh, They've got Homchanovsky coming in. So a few veterans in there to shore up things. Hoblenko, who's always been a um, relatively consistent goal scorer in the UPL. He just needs to get off the mark too. But I think 
they should they should be quite good and obviously uh they've been doing some good marketing stuff of late uh in particular i think the new one that they have started uh joining is a new ukrainian sports charity called um stand for ukraine or essentially it's like about helping ukrainian ultras uh families the ones that have died on the front and helping them get back on their feet or continuing to live and this has been followed by a number of other clubs as well but Kirovbas have started their own initiative where they'll be selling virtual tickets because obviously the matches are without spectators so you can buy yourself a ticket and help contribute to um, helping some of those ultras families of whom Kirovbas have lost I think five to six of their key you know big well-known supporters on the front and a lot of their supporters are still fighting on the front there too so um yeah very much good stuff coming out of that side and i expect a lot more news and more uh, exciting campaign material from them too just fingers crossed it all starts working out on the pitch as well but um i think they should be comfortable at a very minimum uh stable mid-table or potentially if they get things going with Vernadub, once he returns to the dugout, that is, um, fighting maybe for some of those lower uh, European spots. Will be a good, good watch. A team that won't be challenging for European places, I can confidently say, is Manai. Petrally uh, poor and lucky to be in the UPL this year. Can Sharon keep them out of the bottom two? I don't see it. I really don't. I, probably the only entertainment this year will be watching Selesnyov having the occasional meltdown when he's denied the opportunity to take a penalty kick during the season. Ray's been commenting a lot on kits. I'm going to comment on Selesnyov's attire when he signed his contract this week. Top quality. Do like the occasional basketball vest. Uh, maybe not when you're signing the contract, mate. But good luck to them. I'm sure they'll end up staying up by default again. Uh, just hopefully not, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, good luck this season. You're going to need it. Uh, a team that's doing a bit better, Coloss. Right. Right. As you mentioned, Adam, Minai is not fighting for any European spots or even in the UPL spot, but they have been a shelter just like Ruhu Liv, which I've discussed previously. And that's that gives them some advantage. Like, you know, the reality is there. Uh, Colos, although it doesn't because um, they have no advantages in terms of uh, organizational or backstage uh, rumors or intrigues because they're just playing for themselves. They're playing for their local community in Kovalivki in Kiev Oblast. It's hard to tell what's the point of it. Like, uh, they are mostly fueled, right, um, by uh, Dynamo, former Dynamo players. They have 13 people leaving them this period of time, these six months, and 12 people joining them so close. Um, as I mentioned, half of their squad is former Dynamo, are former Dynamo players. Um, but one of them is Sergei Makushka, who has made a bright start for himself so far and he is from mobile academy 
So watch this space. He will be bringing some results to this team. Apart from that, their media coverage has been nice. They launched their 10-year anniversary kit, which was okay. Um, again, they're playing in their home stadium for their own crowd. More power to them. You might probably tell from the way I speak about this team that they are always on the surface, like the ocean surface, and nothing ever bothers them. You might be right. Hence, I find it hard to tell you what is actually the point of watching this team. I don't know. Is it the agricultural nature of them? But we have Inholets, we have Alexandria, we have Minai, even you even you can have even call them agriculture club. But of course, we know that they are actually a customs club, a Hungarian customs club, potentially. Uh, so in terms of that, Kolos, I don't know. The stability, is that the real advantage of this team? I think you could tell, given the unique circumstances. So that's the way to do it. On those other agricultural teams, slightly longer in the UK, Alexandria. Uh, we were excited about them back in January as well, if you've forgotten, after all their signings. How, how are they shaping up? Yep, they've got two wins out of two. And they are looking good. I mean, they've played in Hullets, as we've already mentioned, and Menai. So nothing too challenging thus far. 2-1 victories. But their squad looks stable, to say the least. Uh, they look quite good. I think that with some of the signings they made in January, we were really excited to see, you know, Vladislav Kalitvintsev, uh, Denis Kostishin, Serhida Balka. They, they all look to be uh, like a an experienced Premier League side. That's exactly what they've got in there. Uh, everyone knows their job. Um, everyone's been performing quite well. Andriy Turikov looks like he's got a sort of a, a second life going on here with um, some quite as astonishing goals that he's been scoring, uh, especially against um, Manai. So... I am going to go out on a whim and say that I think Alexandria will certainly be in those European spots come the end of the season. Uh, their, their coach, Yuri Gura, he is, you know, he looks typical um, sort of sports coach style. And I think we had a bit of hate for him at the start of last season, thinking, who's this guy coming out of nowhere? Why has he got the job? You know, why is he taking over? Yeah, and they play some good football and I think they'll be causing some issues going forward on the whole. Obviously, a big loss for them is that they've lost uh, Kirillo Kovalets, who has still not found himself a new club um, and doesn't apparently want to stay in the UPL. So time time will tell, but um, nonetheless, I think it'll be an exciting season from them. A club which won't be having such an exciting season is the second. The third team from Lviv, FC Lviv, who hopefully will disappear this season, having illegally taken their place in the UPL a few years ago. Uh, they are my favourites for the drop, not just based on the squad, just based on the fact I'm not a big fan of them. Uh, but now the Brazilians have left en masse, they're looking like they're going to struggle a lot more. They did, obviously, their first game was postponed against Manai for dubious reasons. And then their second game was at home against Soria, where they did take a surprising 2-1 lead. 
but even Zari, as we mentioned earlier tonight, came back to win 3-2. It does look like they're going to rely on the, the man Nietzsche up front, who a few years ago, I said, didn't belong in the UPL, and shows how poor FC Lviv are if they're relying on him for their goals this season. But please finish bottom and let's not have any dubious ways of keeping them in the UPL for next season. That's all I need to say on those. But we haven't gone to Kharkiv tonight yet, so we've saved them both for last. Firstly, 1925, and then on to Metalists. So, boys, over to you. Right, Adam, just finishing off your speech about F. Sylvia, what if I tell you guys that no one relegates this season? Because Desna and Mariupol have their places frozen for them for this period of time. Next year, they just might as well come back. So no one relegates. But we'll see about that. Maybe the whole the whole division gets separated in the middle of the season. We don't know about that. That's unpredictability is what drives us forward here. Talking about Kharkiv, Metalist 1925, the true club of Kharkiv. We thought that we would never see such occurrence anymore after Dnipro being uh, destroyed in 2016 and fake one team appearing instead of them. But now we have the same situation in Kharkiv, one of the biggest cities in Ukraine. And Medalist 1925 started off as a fan-based club, then being being blamed for being for uh, having too many Shakhtar philosophy in them, now have come in terms with their existence and actually representing their true selves. Because as we know, the Metalist Club, which we are going to discuss further, has the organizational issues of its own. And that's a brilliant chance for 1925 to show their true essence. They started off with, with a great kit, uh, in the opening match of the season, which uh, represents the support to the Ukrainian art forces uh, in blue, in black and pink. Have to check that out. That's their third kit this season. Hence, their media coverage has been on top level. As you probably heard, uh, they have also a lot of people playing from last season and they were struggling, as you remember. But now it's as if they have the life brought back to them and i wouldn't say that they uh, would struggle with the relegation battle and it seems like most of the forecasts uh, for this team is pessimistic but i would go with uh, their activity during this six month right as we discussed it today they've been on the spot and it feels like the the meta of this club is um, you know something that every football fan loves, no matter where you are from. When the club is um, coming back from the ashes, and they're still really uncertain within their existence, but they have it in them. You know, it's something that keeps driving you forwards and looking for their match in the broadcast, like their kids, their media, social media. Their history, let it be brief as it is, but or the their opponents' issues that everything, every single bit of that plays a fortune for Metalist 1925, and that's why I would like to turn to Andrew with uh, Metalist team. Yeah, Metalist Kharkiv. Well, we had lots of high hopes for them before, obviously, the 24th of the second. Uh, we thought hey, 
there's going to be loads of Brazilians. Uh, they're going to fly and win the Petrolija with flying colours. Obviously, the war and also some problems for owner Yaroslavsky have prevented that. And since obviously the past few months, we've seen the vice president of the club, uh, Yevhenny Krasnikov, move to Dnipro 1. We've seen the manager of Metalist, Alexander Kutcher, move to Dnipro 1. We've seen a number of players move to Dnipro 1 as well. Babankov, Sarapi, um, Goncharov, I think. Overall, it didn't look very good. But they've kept a, they've kept a, the core of their, you could say, Petrolyka team, obviously mainly Ukrainian players. They've added a couple of, of them. Uh, good old Dmitro Korkishko, um, Vyacheslav Tankovsky, Yehor Demchenko, who've all been playing quite well over the past couple of years in the lower divisions. And... Whilst they might fizzle away as the season goes on, nothing, I think, too exciting uh, to look forward to coming out of this. They don't play the best football. They beat Ruch, of course, um, in that four and a half hour match. Uh, they got a draw against Inholetz. But just in the current status that this club is in, where people are thinking, hey, this is basically another a new feeder club where it's going to become a Dnipro 1 feeder club. They might send some players from Deep Pro 1 on loan there. The Deep Pro 1 might even get Peixoto, who's currently on loan from Metalist in back in his hometown of Brazil. That finishes in the winter, and then he's going to go to Deep Pro 1 instead of uh, Metalist. So maybe Faris Baululi might even turn up somewhere randomly in recent times. No idea where he's disappeared to, obviously. Um, then they have a whole host of other uh, Brazilians, uh, an Argentinian, Ecuadorian, I think that in Colombians who could be returning from their loans and just linking up with Deep Pro One too. So on the whole, I think this project could have become great, but it's ended quicker than it could possibly get started properly. Um, and that's not solely down to the war, big impact on it, of course, but also down to the fact that I think Yaroslavsky too, due to the war, due to the fact that he's got a criminal uh, case open to him due to a car accident uh, just before the war began, that's all going to be impacted on it. And yeah, they're going to be down there low. And I mean, based on what I've seen so far, Metlis 925, um, I've seen a couple of games of theirs. They look relatively solid. They just look very sort of uninspiring going forward. So they could end up scraping it. But I think all of these sort of last three sides that we've discussed today are going to be in and around that relegation zone. Yeah, it's pretty depressing down there. It really is. But right, prediction time, guys. Um, we have, I mean, it's always open to discussion if teams are going to get relegated in Ukraine. But one team always has to finish bottom, okay? So, I, I mean, I already said mine. I, I've, I've, I've said FC Lviv for me to finish finish bottom. Ray, who have you got coming in in bottom place? As of September 1, 2022, the last UPL spot in, in the table is occupied by FC Dynamo Kiev. So I would stand 
this way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, going to agree with you there, Adam. FC Lviv will be there at the end of the season. Right. Top two. Top two. Uh, I'll go first. I'll put my neck on the line. Um, I'm going to go Shakhtar first, Dinamo second. I think I'm really happy Shakhtar have gone out and bought a load of Ukrainians back to Ukraine. I think it's it's great to see, and I hope they get the title because of it, and hopefully they've turned over a new leaf. That's that's my prediction. Andrew? Well, I did a Tribuna prediction kind of thing, and I said that Dinamo would win the league. Based on what I've seen from that opening game and the lack of signings and Kabaev, just on a whole, they will be probably around there. But I'll go for Shakhtar to win the league as well. Dnipro won second. Uh, let's see, Dinamo third. Ooh. Ray, who you got finishing top two? Sorry, guys. As I said, unpredictability this season is what drives us forward. Hence, as of September 1, 2022, first two positions are occupied by Zoria Luhansk and Kolos Kovalivka. Thank you, thank you. It's definitely going to be a watch this space over the next few weeks with the, the upcoming match days and seeing what the fallout comes from it. Well, yeah, that's it for today. Love to hear the feedback from you guys at home about our predictions. Do you agree with us? Are we completely off on what we've said? Drop it in any of the comments when you've picked it up across the different platforms, because we do enjoy reading them. Uh, Ray, been great to listen to your opinions tonight, mate. It's going to be, like you said, legendary, you know, historic season. I think that's the word I'm going to take from you this evening. So. Yeah, definitely, Adam. Thanks for quoting me. And <laughs> Well, that means a lot. Yeah, that, that's been a pleasure. Great season ahead. Certainly is. Andrew, again, it's been a, been a lot of fun tonight. Uh, really enjoyed your your coverage of your the two match days and everything else you've been doing looking forward to the season yeah it should be exciting um sadly probably a bit of stagnation for some of the players who weren't allowed to leave but we go again in the winter for the resumption of those sagas once that comes around let's just hope that it's a uh, or as much as possible calm remaining three months until the winter break um, and our teams make it there um, all in one piece. And, you know, especially the same with the lower leagues. Uh, Petrolik has already kicked off. We'll probably touch on that in a few few future episodes. And Druhaliha is starting this season, so uh, this weekend. So good luck to everyone taking part there as well. Definitely. And good luck to all the Ukrainians taking part across Europe with announcement today of... Another Ukrainian joining the European uh, group stages with Shamrock Rovers uh, this year. Well, till next time, everyone, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Goodbye.